Hello bestie and welcome to Tea with Tea. This is the second last episode of the year. Um, Not that it changes anything really because I mean, <laughs> life doesn't stop um, on the 31st of December and start again on the 1st. It just continues. But I mean, in the spirit of December and oh, we call it December you know, the spirit of December and burnout and being tired and everything. You know, I just would like to reflect on this podcast episode today and just kind of talk about love, how it grounds us, how it shapes us and what it really means to me, I guess, in the pursuit of all things considered and what life looks like for everyone. So yeah, just get your cup of tea ready and let's have the conversation around it. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, the last episode of the year is going to come out in a few weeks. It's a conversation between Linda and myself. I'm very excited um, for you to hear them and for you to experience our conversation. So just hold on and sit tight and enjoy the last remaining episodes of season one of Tea with Tea. So today's a Sunday. I'm recording this episode on a Sunday and I've had a a week, quite a week. But the funny thing is I'm sitting on this bed now and I was just thinking about myself, you know, where I've been this year, what I've done and also realizing that I've been sitting with a lot of shame. And so, you know, I started the mental, you know, dive in of shame and why we experience that as humans and what the best way to deal with that is. So I believe, right, maybe this has some psychological theory to back it up or, you know, human behavioral analysis to support the evidence or to disprove it that's okay everyone goes through something that alters their perceptions of who they are or who they were meant to be i think at some point whatever high ground whatever sort of safety net that you've built for yourself kind of breaks down and you find yourself in a position where you're sitting with yourself and you don't want to be seen, you don't want to be perceived, you wish to not speak, you wish not to be spoken to. And this is hugely isolating, right? So it's an experience that isolates you from the rest of the world, for the, from the rest of your community, even if it's not entirely, but partially and to some extent. And I think... When I started realizing that often when I'm going through something that is challenging myself, challenging how much I've let myself down or how wrongly I have acted, I find myself in a position where I wish to not speak about it or engage about it to somebody else. But there's something powerful that the Bible says, and it says, confess your sins to one another. And I've always questioned, yeah, how? 
How are we meant to confess our sins to one another if the shame that you carry is also something that you're afraid to carry into the relationships around you? Now, this might not be true for everybody. This might not be true for all your connections. And that's okay. But also, you know, I'm just trying to have a general conversation about it. So follow along with me. How are we supposed to be able to confess our sins to one another? And if you don't think that things are a sin and and it's okay, just think about it in the general sense of a sin. Something that makes you feel like condemning yourself, basically. Whether it's based on the true fact or whether it's based on a set of a framework, a religious framework as to who deserves what and in what proportions. So I'm using the Bible for reference because it's a great book. And outside of its religious um, doctrines, it gives really great context for human experience and what that looks like for all of us. And so, you know, that's what the Bible says. But the funny thing is, in the same Bible, it says, if you trust, if you put your trust in another man, you're foolish. And I'm like, okay, so where's the middle ground here? And I've realized that the middle ground is this idea called love. Right. In life, there are things that are wrong to do and there are things that are right to do. I spoke about this in my last podcast episode with Yenzile about gray areas, right? Where there's the black and there's the white and then there's the area in between. You know, the lines are finer. Um, you might really not know which line you're stepping over. You're really not unsure. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Really, like, where do I stand? And if you were to ask me to describe what love is, you know, I'd tell you that I think it's trying to understand. I think love is trying to understand why. And even when you can't grasp the why, but still putting your faith in the idea that somebody made the right decisions with whatever they were presented with at that time. One of my favorite quotes, uh, one of my favorite sayings is that a mind that is constantly learning is free from judgment because judgment implies a conclusion. And I love that so much, right? Because it's the human experience is an ever-evolving process. Whoever you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow. It's not who you're going to be in two weeks. It's not who you're going to be in a year. And finding that common ground of love is always how we come back home. So it's there's a plethora, right, of different instances because we exist on a spectrum. So even love in and of itself exists on the spectrum, So it's easy sometimes for us to discard individuals who say that they love us or to discard the feelings or kind of how they look at us and to say, no, I don't think you love me. And I don't think you love me because you don't make me feel a certain way. I'm also realizing every day that this idea is flawed in and of itself. I live with my family and we don't get along every day. We don't want to speak to each other every day. We don't want to engage with each other every day. Sometimes, you know, you say the wrong thing. Sometimes somebody says the wrong thing to you. Sometimes you're just annoyed and you're just like, leave me alone, everybody. 
But for me, that has never translated to a lack of love. Perhaps it is, right? Perhaps it's not. And when I think about how Bell Hooks defines um, love, not defines love, but uses the phrase love is as love does. That's my favorite saying currently, by the way. And if I ever do get a tattoo, that's what I'm going to get. Love is as love does. And when you think about it, when you think about the fact that for for this for this example that I'm using, that I live with my family, I'm not happy with them every day. They're not happy with me every day. But somehow, if I didn't come back home, my mother's going to call me and be like, hey, where are you? Are you okay? And in that instant, right, there's a mutual understanding that I am reaching out to you because I care for you enough to know where you are. And when you think about then the dynamics of love is that it is not simply one action that we choose to do. So we can't say, I love this person and then put across an equally harmful statement that is rested in a huge judgment of their character. Maybe I'm being a bit too complex, besties. But I mean, you're free to engage with me further and we can take this offline. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we can talk on the phone, you and I. Just call me. Just let me know. But where I'm driving to is that, you know, in the constant evolution of the human spirit, in the constant evolution of the human life, there are so many different seasons of who we are because we change constantly. I'm realizing that sitting in shame is not an experience that one should or has to go through alone. I'm realizing that people can only accept you if they know who you are. I'm realizing that that gray area between accountability and judgment is a place of mercy and forgiveness. Now, I was talking to my friend the other day and we were speaking about forgiveness, right? And I was just like, you know, sometimes I don't like hearing the word sorry. Um, because at times it feels like there was such a clear intention and you knew what you were doing. And so because you knew what you were doing, I would like for you to leave me alone. And there is such a huge fatal flaw in that, in the sense that every single time, where I've commissioned or where I have done something that has hurt somebody in an irreversible manner, half the time I knew what I was doing. I knew the implications of whatever I was doing would most likely lead to this. Somehow I have accepted that as a consequence, but I've still got back to apologize because the gray areas were like, I should go and get this. When we realize that our human experience overlaps with so many things and so many traits, it becomes easier for us to accept the people around us. And therefore, it becomes easier for them to confess their sins to us because we are safe enough for them. That's the problem with the pedestal. Because if you put anybody on a pedestal, you are essentially saying that there is one idea of who you are and that idea only defines your human experience. Let me make an example for you. I grew up and I was a classical and a straightforward by the book girl. 
right? I did things according to how everybody would expect things to be done. And I constantly served that ideology and that's how I existed. However, at no point did I step back and ask, why am I doing these things and who exactly do they serve? So I always felt like I was holding out, always felt like I was owed something by the other. By the other, I just mean like a general idea of who would be represented by another individual in my life. So because my academic success was hugely linked to my uh, confidence in my character, imagine what happened when I got to university and I realized that no, like I am struggling, I am suffering, I am having to work twice as hard. And even when I communicated this difficulty, right, that I have been academically gifted my entire life, but I'm getting here and I'm struggling. What does that actually mean? Does that mean I was living a false life? No, it can't be. Because I was the one who acquired those grades. It could be the idea that this is too difficult for me. That is a difficult pill to swallow because you live in an environment where giving up is always seen as a negative thing. Now, basking in the only idea of who you knew Tandega to be and setting that standard to be consistent for the rest of my life is actually unbelievable and it is limiting and it implies a conclusion. So not only are you, you're not judging me according to what you think a judgment is, but you've also finalized and watered down my existence to this one set of behaviors that would show a greater sense of integrity. Because, you know, like, that's what happens. You know, you find adults gossiping about children and being like, oh, this is what they do. Are you serious? That is so disgusting. I hate that so much. And I often ask myself whether or not they understand or they try to understand who their children really are and who their children have become. And... When you actively try to understand something, it changes your perception about the problem. You know, if there's a gift that mathematics gave me, is the ability to look beyond the numbers and look for a story. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Okay, how do I get to the answer? Okay, what is this question trying to ask me? Okay, you know, and I left. But consistently, even, that line of thinking was always so, you know, bumped and bruised because I didn't believe and I couldn't think that I could possibly carry it out. So today, I would like to challenge you to try to understand. It's a difficult thing to do. But when we try to understand, it also makes us better people at meeting out and giving out grace to individuals, grace and forgiveness, because we realize that as we constantly evolve in our human experience, so do other people. So if somebody was a pathological liar five years ago, you know, somebody was a pathological liar 10 years ago, using your adult brain now to understand that lying is directly linked to another form of shame or that stealing is directly linked to somebody, something else. We give people the responsibility to 
act within that framework to change those particular narratives about themselves. So, you know, now also, this is just an example that I'm continuing to learn more about the political landscape. I'm continuing to learn more and understand more really about what life is and what life looks like. I'm realizing that I've been wrong so many times, you know. And typically you would think, oh, I can't confess this. I can't confess my wrongness about things or I can't admit and take accountability for certain things. But you realize that that's okay (laughs) because when you were saying what you said or when you did what you did, you thought you knew enough about the world. Um, Which is why I think I I have such a like... I really don't like this entire, is this you thing on Twitter? Because I'm just like, man, you know, so many of us maybe don't say the things that we're thinking online, which is perhaps wisdom. But also so many of us hold differing opinions to the opinions that we had a few years ago. So yeah, bestie, um, love is trying to understand and you won't get it. But when you're constantly meeting people at a point where you're holding them accountable in the softest and gentlest way possible, then you give them room to be truly themselves around you. And if they are truly themselves around you, it gives you an opportunity to be able to take in all aspects of who they are, to remove this idea, this this fantasy that people are set, you know, thing like that people can't change or evolve or become different versions because so many things change us grief changes us heartbreak changes us disappointment setbacks excuse me there are so many different things that alter the ideas of rejection you know there's just a lot you know and i don't think that people can be the same and i don't think people are the same you're not the same and so Don't be so hard on yourself because the reason why you're failing to accept all these things about you as a person is the reason why you can't accept them in other people. Maybe you can, but also your spirit isn't as forgiving. And, you know, then also I just want to expand a bit more on the analysis of the loneliness part because I didn't really go into that. I was just like, you know, it makes you lonely and isolates you from the world. But there are so many things that we go through in life that also dictate how then we interact with other people. For instance, I wouldn't say I've been a loner all my life because I've always known a lot of people, but I will always constantly want to retreat into a place of solitude because that's how I've learned to deal with everything. And by dealing with everything, I just mean I am more comfortable crying alone than I am about crying in front of somebody else. And perhaps that's not... You know, like a big thing. It's a, it's not like a huge, terrible thing. But I think, whoa, you must be so safe to be able to cry in front of other people. And that's something that I desire for, that's something that I wish for. To just be able to, hey, I am openly in pain um, at this very moment. And being able to do that, you know, would relieve so much pressure out of this whole context of, I must go through a day, no matter how difficult that day is. And then I must go home to this quiet, dark room and deal with myself there. 
Because then also that kind of imposes this idea that you are unlovable at your most vulnerable. And perhaps dating culture with our generation has just done exactly that. You know, this idea that you can commit to who a person is and then it can be too difficult to continue with that person. You know, I've broken up with people in my life. I've had people break up with me. I think that when things get a lot difficult a lot more difficult than they used to it's really a challenging place to meet yourself at because you're thinking of variety of things you're like okay oh my goodness me was i not enough was i enough actually they didn't love me like that because if they did love me like that they wouldn't do a b c d you know we have this list and then we have a checklist. If somebody loves you, then they must do this. If they don't love you, then this is what they're doing. And, wow. I think this conversation about love and you trying to understand is a multi-page book. So we can definitely revisit this conversation later and have a chat about it. But, you know, I just don't believe that anyone is meant to experience life alone. I think we love solitude and we love going back to ourselves because it's safe but i don't think it's preferred by the human spirit i think the human soul needs community we need to be able to tap into the resources around us we need to be able to know that the people that we love the most will be able to take us in any form and i think that's what a true movement and expression of what love is you know, does. And that's probably the most revolutionary thing about Christianity because, you know, it's it's a religion that has received a lot of criticism. And I think that criticism is rightly justified, right? Because I've criticized my own faith. Um, and I've wondered and I've had a plethora of questions, question marks, hmm, 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 what's this, what's this, what's this, what's this? But I think the most revolutionary thing about it is how it explains the idea of grace and the idea of love. That we are loved beyond what we think is capable. Because I think love changes how you think about yourself. It changes how you perceive those around you. And when you think about this this love that is described, you know, I think it even says uh, this love is tall and it is wide. You can't really think about it. When you think about the ocean, you know, if you're in Swaziland, just think about a really big, a really large um, place with water. I'm joking. I know what you know, what I, what I see, what, what the ocean looks like. What the, you know, just to be safe, because we don't have one here. <laughs> um, this, is your, this, is your, this is your indication, besties, to invite me next time you go to the beach, because I would like to be there. Um, so... You know, it's 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 like, like that love. You know, when you step into, when you're at the beach and you step into the water for a bit, you put in your feet and you walk and then your ankles and then, you know, you keep walking in and the and the and the water keeps rising. Okay, now it's up to your waist and then, at some point you're completely submerged, and when you think about what it would look like to be completely submerged in love. Not just to experience it when it's just at your feet or when it's at your ankles or it's at your knees, but to be completely submerged in a pool of love and, you know, you just put under and you're ducked there. And it's said 
that nothing that you have done has changed how I feel about you. And that's, that's what it says, right? And for me, that's the most, that's the wildest thing, <laughs> is that perhaps this love doesn't exist in the church. And that's okay. Because maybe so far, we're able to only give love according to what we know and according to what we've received. When I think about that, I think about how beautiful it is that there is an idea that I am loved beyond anything that I have ever done, right? And then people are like, you know, J. Cole goes, even the murderer, you know? Do you tell me that you love even the murderer? <laughs> and that's a question because, wow, that's what The Shed tries to address, you know, that movie, The Shed. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but Gitsi recommended it to me many, many, many years ago. And basically, it's this idea of a man who loses his daughter. And this man used to just go to church, right? So not really religious, but he just go to church to keep up with an appearance of some sort. Oh, Mfundisi must know that I was I was here, you know, with my family, and this man would just experience, you know, the church very passively, and then his daughter died, and not a beautiful death, you know, precious, precious daughter, and he was angry and he was heartbroken and all the things that you would be, you know, he would be so upset when somebody would be like, you know. God knows. He'd be like, what does he know? <laughs> There's no way that God knows. Because if God knew, he would have known not to take my daughter. And I think, though perhaps the idea or the movie, the extent was a bit extreme, but it also kind of streamlines this idea that whatever point in life where you are, the most vulnerable the most heartbroken version of yourself. The idea that there is someone constantly there with you. That besties. That is life changing. Because I'm just like, how? Me? And it's like, yes, you. Yes, you. A thousand times over. And, oh, there are so many instances of love that has prevailed and that has continued to prevail. And those are the stories that may, you know, give our hearts some warmth. So, obviously, you know, for definitive purposes and because I know I'm surrounded by intellects, there is a beautiful way to think about how people think or perceive things. One when we acknowledge that we don't know everything and that we are not always right, it becomes easier for us to be able to expect failure and grow from it. And so even when you love people, you're not going to get it right the first time or the third time or the seventh time. You just keep learning. But keep learning with an open mind, with an open heart, you know, moving in that direction constantly and vicariously, you know. So... <laughs> You know, there is so much wording. There are so many, there are so many things to think about whenever you're saying a statement, whenever you're assessing a situation, 
whenever you're trying to get to the bottom of something. And for me, though there are many things that I question in the world, I think the idea, like I said, that someone is always there with for you and with you through your vulnerable phases is a much better idea for me to buy into and cop into than the idea that we are constantly and always alone, you know. Which is why I think it's a lovely thing that in all um, religious frameworks, there's an idea of a spiritual presence that is always there with you. Can't really see it, can't really describe it fully, that this is what it is. You know, there's so much ambiguity in language, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much kind of descriptiveness with the language and not rather like very prescriptive language. And because of those things, I think our entire experiences as we continue to change, as we continue to evolve, evolve, as you move closer to like a certain direction or another one as of yet, it's like you stand differently at all times. And sometimes, you know, like I started off this podcast and I spoke about shame. Sometimes you're standing in a position of shame. Other times you're standing in a position of gratitude. Other times you're standing in a position of success. And that rotational basis, you know, helps us to understand what other people might be going through at the same time. So it's like every time we fail to extend grace, we are communicating the message to ourselves that we do not receive that. We do not, like, we do not deserve (laughs) that grace. Sorry. Why did I want to say receive, receive? We don't deserve that kind of grace. It's like love if you... Give out love only because people deserve it. It means whenever you feel like you are the least deserving of love, you will always believe that you don't deserve to be loved and to be cared for. So understanding that, you know, our environments inform how we move and our environments inform how we perceive and think about ourselves waters down to even our own personal and spiritual growth. If I know that I am willing to accept anybody with no judgment, it means that I am able to accept myself as well. Do I have a hard truth that I stand by that nobody else likes? That's okay. I can stand by that. Because I've had to witness people have interesting takes that I didn't agree with. You know, it's like there is sort of like a world hierarchy of the right thing to feel and the wrong thing to feel. And it's like... How sure are you that the information that you have is complete and absolute as opposed to the information that is presented to me? The idea of being a being, you know, is that even though maybe you're not a supernatural being, you're still consciousness in a body. Because our bodies in and of themselves, nothing biological informs what we actually do. Definitely informs the mechanics. So, you you know, your skin will tell your brain that you're being burnt and so you're going to remove the hand. But is there an actual description for feelings, for heartbreak, for pain, for joy? No, we know what it does to the body. So our consciousness is like the highest level of who we are. If we inform that, if those things are within defined parameters, we are unstoppable. We heal our communities by being the best versions of ourselves. I've spoken a lot. I always do. But perhaps where I'm going, the finalizing, conclusive statements is that, you know, if loving is trying to understand constantly, I'm trying to understand why a person that I love has an addiction that is killing them, like it's killing them, 
that is addiction they keep going back to it's killing them why you know I can use harmful language to describe them. I can call them things like addict, lazy, unmotivated. Because it's easier to try and deal with the outside of a problem than to find what really is the problem. You know, and I think that's what love seeks to do. And, you know, luckily or unluckily, I don't know, we have, you know, formalized spaces now where we can go in and require a therapeutic service because that is a confessional you know it's a confessional that has a confidentiality clause so you know you can't speak about me outside of this room if you do then you're in trouble because you've broken an agreement imagine if those agreements were intertwined in who we are as a people if i knew that the most the highest level of integrity is not speaking about anybody else's problems the highest level of integrity is never shaming an individual for being seen doing something that I would never have been caught dead doing. And, you know, I've tried to speak about this. Usually, sometimes I'll say to my family, I can see they're not hearing me. And I'm like, you know, outside of a person being a drunk, they're a person. You know, and when you try, when you start to understand that people are not their habits, but they are things that inform their habits. You get closer to understanding who they really are. Why do you do this? Okay. Also, not in a judgmental way, but just hanging out around them enough to know that, okay, this is probably what it is. Doesn't make you foolish. Doesn't make you stupid. You know, being an understanding individual, though it's been characterized as a form of weakness or a form of naivety, is actually a huge strength. Because to understand people, you must truly be an analyst. You must be able to observe your surroundings, to read the room, to put yourself out there. And, you know, try and understand. So if you love anybody, try and understand them. If you love yourself, try and understand you. And trying to understand needs a whole lot of acceptance, whole lot of mercy giving a whole lot of kindness a whole lot of accountability but you get there you know closer every day every day every day every day so yeah you know make another cup of tea if you need one to kind of sit with this for a bit so yeah Anyway, besties, if I sound like I'm in bed, it was because I was <laughs> um, not sleeping, but I'm just lying on the bed. So that was a phone call conversation, pillow talking with my besties. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, it's a very laid back, chilled episode, I guess. That is the truth of who I am. That is the truth of what this podcast aims to be, is that I enjoy um just the rawness and truth and not trying too hard i would love to think that's what my personality is encapsulates and not all roses and wine and rosé i have some really difficult parts to deal with and so do you but that does not mean that you don't deserve love at all i think that's a, a common ground that you must reach every time you condemn yourself or you judge yourself is that your wrongdoings do not translate to you requiring a lack of love and a lack of uh, you know 
empathy. So you might think and feel like nobody cares about you or you feel like nobody has the capacity to understand what you've been through, what you're going through. And perhaps you're right. Not nobody, sorry, you're not right because there is always at least one person who is not reserving any judgment at all because judgment implies a conclusion. Alas, I hope you have a great December and that you show up for yourself in the way that you need showing up for. You rest, you cry, you journal, you pray. Remember to be safe this December, babes. Um, Take responsibility for your actions. Take responsibility for whatever you've said um, because that way you just move closer to who you are really than anything else. So yeah, thank you for having tea with Tandega today. It was a pleasure to be your host.